The following program is furnished by Startup Nation Media Group. All right, welcome to this edition of Startup Nation Radio. This is our Ask the Expert show, and this is a show where, for the most part, I'm going to do the asking of the questions in this particular show, but we're also going to, in this first segment, allow you to ask a question too, and I'm going to be focused on, as an expert, funding. How do you fund your business? I've got an idea for a business. I want to get it off the ground, but you need that lifeblood fuel to ignite this business and get it rolling. How do I get capital to start that business? We're going to get to that in a second. We're going to follow up with a discussion around important insurance issues that you need for your business. And in addition to insurance, we'll have a couple of other experts on, one talking about that all-important online marketing and a third talking about HR issues, hiring the right way. How do you handle the issues around HR? We're going to talk to an expert on this edition of Startup Nation Radio in a moment as well. But before we get to all that, let's talk about funding. Done a lot of it myself. We've raised over $100 million in angel funding. That's a type of funding I'll talk about in a second. Into various ventures that we've grown here in our own startup incubator in Birmingham, Michigan. And got some experience that I'm happy to share with you. So here's the thing. There are various types of funding available to startup companies out there that need to be matched up the right way. It's kind of a Goldilocks thing. You know, there's the right funding for the right type of company at the right stage. You know, you may be a company that ultimately ends up sourcing various types of capital at various stages of the company, or you may be the type of company that's only suitable for a single type of capital for that company. Let's talk about that. If you're a fast growth, high tech startup, you want to start out with angel funding. That's the type of funding wealthy individuals investing into the company in exchange for equity ownership in your company. You want to follow that by sourcing venture capital at some point along the company's growth trajectory to further fuel and further grow the company. That again is an equity type of funding to the company. Now, along the way, you may or may not source a loan or two, maybe from the SBA, maybe from the local bank, whatever it may be, maybe from a national bank. You might seek a bank loan for funding. Maybe you'll even seek crowdfunding at some point for that business, and all those become possible. Now, if on the other hand, you're, let's say, a local merchant on Main Street, USA, if you're looking for funding, you're probably not going to qualify for venture capital. That's not the type of business venture capital is typically back. And so what do you do? Well, I like to look for angel funding first to finance these types of companies or a bank loan if you can get it. Bank loans require some sort of experience in business. Typically, they require some sort of track record and performance demonstration so they know you can pay the loan back. And in some cases, they even require a personal guarantee. But bank loans are certainly a common way, a common source of capital for funding startup companies, especially in cases where venture capital or other equity investing doesn't really apply. So that kind of lays out the playing field. Now, I promised I'd take a call in this first segment. I know people always are contacting me asking questions about how do I get funding for a business? The number is 800-859-0957. If you've got a question, call in and ask your question. We'll be happy to take it. We want to make sure at Startup Nation we get these companies started, and we know that funding is critical. We've got a caller right away. We've got Sue calling in from the Farmington Hills area. And Sue, you have a question about how to finance your new company. First, tell us what's the idea for the company and tell us what your capital needs are all about. So Jeff, I've been listening and my husband and I are really wanting to open up a toy store. Okay. And I know it's a long shot and I know Amazon is a... uh, Amazon's out there. You've heard of them, right? Yeah, of course. Yes, yes, indeed you have. (laughs) And that is the that's the big killer for sure. It is, but there's nothing like a downtown toy store, personalized service, 
And I just feel like that's one thing that's missing in our town. And that's something that we could absolutely provide. Um, the First, point, I have to say, I love that. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Mm-hmm. There is nothing like a store, especially toys. You know, it's experiential in nature. And mm-hmm. kids love to go into the toy store. It's not just about getting on and, and making a surgical strike purchase like you do on Amazon. Certainly there's convenience and efficiency associated with all that. And there's a place in this world for Amazon. Boy, I don't need to say that, right? But I love your vision. I want to support it. And so you guys need financing to get off the ground. We do. That's a big thing. I mean, especially for somebody who's starting out new, who has um, never started a business before. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is funding and which source, where do we go? What do we start with? I mean, we have friends and family that are interested in helping, but do we tap into them? Do we go to a bank? You know, where should we go first? Yep. The question that you just asked is the question on so many people's minds when they think about starting a business, where are we going to get the funding? And it's a bit of a conundrum because I think you said, you guys don't have a lot of experience in business. Certainly, there's no track record for this business to demonstrate, no financials to be able to hand over to a banker to get a bank loan, right? That's right. So what do you do? Now, you mentioned friends and family. That caught my attention as well. And do you think that they might have an interest in investing in your business? And then what about you guys too? Do you have some capital you can put into the business? Yeah, between a combination of friends, family, and my husband and I, we have enough to start something, but there's always going to be funds needed. So for as much as we're willing to reach out to our friends and family that are happy to support us and our dream and the amount of money that we can put in the bucket ourselves, there has to be more. Absolutely. There has to be more. Okay. So here's the advice I would give you. First, you must have a business plan. And that business plan must include projections. You've got to have a really good handle on the amount of capital you're going to need to get this business started and to keep it alive until you reach a point where, based on your projections, you have confidence that you'll hit at least a break-even point. In other words, a point at which the revenues from the business can support the business and you'll no longer need to draw on invested capital early on in order to keep the business open. So you need to think through your inventory turns and the costs associated with that. You need to think through the basics like the light bill and the rent and all those fundamentals. You need to think through salaries and other things that you're going to have to pay people to be in the store, whether it's you or whether it's others. So get a handle on your financial projections. Determine the amount of money you're going to need from now until break even. Then give yourself a little cushion. And then that amount of money is the amount of money I would seek to raise from you and your friends and family that might be willing to throw in. If you can get that amount of capital, and I'll answer the second part of the question, you're absolutely right, you're going to need more. But if you, in your own mind, think you can get that much capital, that means you might be able to get this business off the ground. So have you done projections and have you thought through, and you don't need to tell me the amount, and do you think the amount of capital that you and your friends and family could throw in can support just that to get you to break even? No. No. So that's going to be a challenge. I would say don't start the business if you can't get there. Now, if you can get there, maybe you need to think about cutting costs. Maybe you don't need as big a space as you have. Maybe you don't need the biggest uh, the staff that you have. Maybe you need to spend more time in the store or whatever it is, but you need to get your costs down to match up to what capital you think you can bring in until you can reach break even. Now, got to have a business plan. Beyond that, I would highly recommend if you do take capital from friends and family, It's even more important than when you take capital from third-party investors, outside investors you may or may not know. You must have 
all of the appropriate documents. You must treat the investment like you would treat an investment from anybody else. This is critically important now because we're talking friends and family. You must disclose the risks. You must tell them we could lose our money. We, you know, here are the risks here. We're inexperienced. We've never owned a business before. Full disclosure, get them in, get them in eyes wide open, know that they could lose every dime or some portion of the capital they've invested, but also know there could be some upside at the other end if we're successful. So documentation, full disclosure, make the case. Don't get anybody in that's going to be surprised later. They need to know they could lose their money. Make sure you do all that really, really well. And then if they want to come in, eyes wide open, great, beautiful. You get that capital, get to break even. Now what do you do? Well, now you've got a track record. You've demonstrated sales. You've demonstrated business performance. Now maybe you can go to a banker and seek a, you know, a traditional loan for the business to support the business, to get it from here to the rest of the way through the growth curve. Some businesses at this point might seek venture capital. This is not a one-off toy store in a local community. It's not really the type of business venture capitalists are looking for. But you might be able to find angels. Those are wealthy individuals who might want to invest directly in the business beyond your friends and family because you're able to demonstrate performance. So that is the way I would look at this. That's the way I'd finance this business. Those are the steps I would take. And I hope that's helpful. Sue, good luck. Make that store happen. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Right. So helpful. All right. Right on. Thanks. Thanks for calling in. All right. We're going to be back with more on Startup Nation Radio. We've got other experts coming up. Critical issues you need to think about and know about if you are planning to start a business or have one that you already own. We're going to talk insurance. We're going to talk online marketing. We're going to talk HR. Listen, you can't talk about business unless you talk about those things. Let's do that on this edition of Startup Nation Radio. We will right after this break. Welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. This is our Ask the Expert show. We've got our subject matter experts on today with us. And one of those guys, one of those experts, Michael Spath, client, executive, and small business advisor at Kapnick Insurance Group. Michael, good to have you back on the show. Well, I appreciate it. I had a lot of positive feedback from uh, our last interview. As you know, probably enjoy this aspect a little bit too much, uh, <laughs> but really just love talking to you. Yeah. Well, and I love talking to you. You know, I think we kind of made the case last time we had you on what the fundamental insurances are, the coverages are that you should have in place as a small business. And we made that case. We made a strong case for it. Now we need to do some business. And in order to do some business, I need some guidance. I need an agent, don't yeah, I? You do. And is that a, what is it, I call it? An agent? Yeah, that you what can I call need? it an agent. You can yeah. call it an advisor. You can call it a broker. I mean, there's a lot of different names. And what I'll say, Jeff, is it's a little bit like dating. You know, like I would suggest that you don't always go with the first person that says yes. You know, quite often people just go on to Google and they look up like insurance. They call the first person up, say, hey, I need insurance. Can you help me out? And sometimes that works. But I look at it as a little bit like an interview or dating, like, you know, get to know the person a little bit. See if you have a fit. Yeah. See if you have a chemistry, because at the end of the day, this is a person who is looking out for you or supposed to be looking out for you. Yep. And if they're not, if they're not invested in who you are and invested in the success of your business, they're just looking at it as like a bottom line. If they're just looking at it as like, hey, I'm just writing one more policy. I've got to hit a quota for the month. That's not necessarily the person you want to be in business in partnership with. Right. I mean, for me, the insurance product you're going to sell me itself, the coverage you're going to sell me, the policy you're going to sell me for whatever it may be that it's going to cover is relatively commodity in nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some nuances, price differences, coverage differences, but I mean, generally speaking, they're right. Absolutely. Okay. So what makes the difference to me is the quality of the customer service, mm -hmm. customer guidance, the value of the relationship that I have in my agent, the accessibility. Those are the things that really matter, I think. 
Is that the right way to think about that? That's the way that I look at it. And that's the way that I've always built myself and my business. I mean, like the people that I'm working with, you know, I like to say that I'm not just like your advisor. I'm also, you know, to some degree, your friend, your partner. Like I go into these businesses, like if they're a distillery, like I like to go have drinks at that distillery because I like to keep, I mean, why not, right? Tough job. Okay. But like, I like to keep tabs. I like to like see what's going on. Like you can, with your own eyes, you can see like, wow, they look like they've hired some staff. We need to talk about that a little bit. Oh my goodness. It looks like they're having a little bit of an exposure over here. I want to like talk to them about that. And one of the things too, Jeff, is like, you can't be afraid to have hard conversations with your clients. Just recently I had someone who added a piece to their business. And I said to them, like, well, you've added an exposure to your business, a risk to your business. We need to address that. Like, well, you know, can we get by without it? And I said, you can get by without it. But the moment you have one claim there. Right. You can get by without it until you need it. Absolutely. Right. I look at it like, hey, you can either be with someone who just looks at the bottom line and like talks to you once a year when your renewal comes up. Or you can be with someone who communicates with you every couple of weeks, every couple of months. How are things going? What's going on? Are there things that I can help you out with? You know, can I come by and see you shake your hand? Like, that's where I come in. And that's That's why I said it's more like dating because you want someone that you're, you know, you're having a relationship with, an ongoing relationship as opposed to just once a year. Right. And I love what you said about, you know, you'll come in and you'll see something because most small business owners, they don't know the answers to the questions, but even worse, they don't even know the questions to ask. You know, they don't even know what to ask for. Uh, what to be concerned about, or what do I need? And so for you to come in and provide a service where I see this, I see that, I just learned from you this or that that we need to really talk about, that is the difference. And the interesting thing about you is you're, you're in an organization, Capnick Insurance Group, one of the great insurance companies, longstanding you know, in, in our region here, founded in 1946. You guys have over 170 mm-hmm. employees, agents in effect, I mean, support staff and so on. Here's the thing, though. You guys each operate in a very individualized way within the context and, the, and with, with the infrastructure of all that, you know, a support that comes with a company of that magnitude. Right. But I love that you're a small business guy. You yeah. yourself are an entrepreneur. And uh, so I you was. get it. Yeah, I ran a small business for five years. I did, uh, I sold radio advertising. I was a CEO, essentially. I had accounting. I had payroll. I had taxes. I had my legal fees. I had to pay a couple, four employees. You know, I was doing all those things. And I was also the head salesperson, which I learned, which a lot of people that start a business, they're doing all these other things. They're running the operations. And then all of a sudden they have to become their own marketing, their own sales. And so I understand all those things that you're up against. All I want to do is take the one thing off your plate that, you know, can keep you up at night. Getting people in the door is the number one priority. But once you've got them in the door, you want them to have a good experience. And you don't want, if anything happens whatsoever, they fall down, they get you know, they're eating French fries and they choke on a French fry. Anything like that happens. You want to make sure like, Hey, I'm going to be able to go to bed at night tonight and sleep because I know that my insurance has got me taken care of on the back end. Yeah. And so that's where I'm at. You're going to take care of 95% of your business. I'm going to take care of your other 5% because I understand from those five years running my own business, how much time and effort I was putting into day to day. There was no days off. Sunday wasn't a day off. It should have been, it should have been Lord's day, but it wasn't right. There's no such thing. And you're 12 hours a day. Yep. And I think for a small business owner, all that blood, sweat, and tears and everything you pour into making a success out of that business that you love so much and that really is an extension of you, they're one and the same. If you were to ask me, who are you? I'm Jeff Sloan, but I'm also the guy that's the Startup Nation guy, whatever, because it's, it's so connected. These are, as they say, closely held companies, and they're, they're a part of me. And, and so here's the thing. That can be wiped out in a second. Mm-hmm. All of that. And so when I hear business owners say, do I really need to, you know, can I squeak by? Sure, you can squeak by, like you said, until you need it. But boy, for that peace of mind, yeah. knowing that all that you've poured into that business can be protected. And it's not that expensive, really. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really not. And like one of the things that I had when I was selling radio advertising and I was also 
hosting a sports talk show was I had professional liability. We talked about it last week, right, or a couple weeks ago, the physical premises. I need to insure my building. I also need to insure, like, if someone slips and falls. But where I was coming from is, like, I had advertisers that were expecting a return on their investment. And if someone didn't get a return on their investment, they could turn around and say, like, well, I'd like to recoup my money. I'm going to sue you for $25,000. Right. And so I had professional liability in place that was keeping me there. And so like, that's one of the things where you said sometimes they don't know the right questions to ask. Right. Maybe everybody understands, like, I need to have physical coverage in my space and I need to have general liability. But there's all these offshoots that are going to protect other pieces of your company, depending on what your company is. And every company is a little bit different, right? Of course. That's why we need more. I mean, you're an agent. I guess there's no hiding the fact that makes you part salesperson. You're mm-hmm. in business for yourself. Your goal is to get an account, get them to buy a coverage from you guys, a policy from you guys, whatever it may be. That's part of your job. That's how you put food on the table and pay your personal bills. And that's the way the company does as well. But more than that, this is the difference. It's more than salesperson. You are also my counselor, you know? Well, and that's precisely how I think about it. I mean, you think about it a little bit like an attorney. An attorney is, and you've got an attorney here today. Like, he's looking out for you. He's your counselor. He's offering you all this advice. You don't have to listen to his advice. You can still say no to me. You can still say like, well, I don't want to pay for that. Or like, that's not, you know, something that I feel like I need, but you shouldn't be afraid as an agent to have those conversations and say, Jeff, you run a gigantic podcast company. You should have some media liability. What happens if you ever say something on the air that someone comes back and says, bad advice. I took your advice. I did my business plan this way, whatever it may be. And I, I I, I failed, but that's the reality. That is the reality. And so that's exactly right. And again, I might not have thought of that. You know, I've thought of everything else. I've thought about what content to put in my podcast. I thought it made, made sure I was prepared. You know, I made sure that the light bills paid and everything else around here. But God forbid, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. And most of the time, I mean, I grew up the son of a doctor. My dad wasn't afraid of getting sued because he did something wrong. He was afraid of getting sued because someone saw him as a target. Absolutely. And an opportunity. Like a doctor needs to be able to, to push the envelope a little bit. They need to have a creative mind. Like something is going on. What's not just this simple thing that I read about in the first page of my medical book. It might be this other thing. I've got to be able to take chances. And in a business, for you to be successful, you've got to risk something. You've got to be able to put yourself out there a little bit and push the envelope. And if you don't, just being static, just being like everybody else is not going to win. No. And so, you know, you're in a competitive environment. And so if you're going to be competitive, like, okay, let's make sure that everything is being taken care of again on that back end. And so you can go out there, market, go after every customer, come up with an inventive product. You know, that's a big thing. When you come up with an inventive product, like all of a sudden there's an exposure there. What happens if your product malfunctions? What happens if someone, you know, does choke on it? What happens, you know, I was dealing with some tech company the other day and they had a product that measures cognitive dissonance you know, and it helps a doctor, a neurologist diagnose somebody. And it's like, well, what happens if that diagnosis goes wrong and they turn around and blame the product? Right. And so like they needed products liability in addition to having like their normal. And so those are all the things like you need to have an agent who honestly gets to know your business, then asks you a ton of questions. And some people want it like so quick. They just want to be like, go online to Geico and, and right. get like, oh, best, I just, I just filled out like five right. things and I got it. Like, right. You need to have someone who's going to ask you every question that's about right. your business and it's going to take time. If someone says like, I can have this done for you in five minutes, that's probably not the right person for yeah. you. You need someone who's going to spend hours on this to make sure that you're covered in every aspect of your business. So Michael, you're a guy to do just that. If I want to call you, if I'm a small business owner out there and I want to call you and consult with you, what does that consultation cost me? Zero. Zero dollars. Zero dollars. So I can get the value from you if you helping me understand my business, my needs, my exposure, my risk, and all that. And then you can make recommendations on what you think I ought to do to cover my business. It doesn't cost me anything to get that good guidance and advice. It doesn't cost anything. That's amazing. How do they... (laughs) 
Now, the phones better be ringing off the hook. If you have everybody out there listening to this show who has a business or thinking about starting one, you got to think about this as part of your business, your business plan, your operational plan. Michael, how do they reach you? Uh, the easiest way is to send me an email. Everybody can kind of remember emails. M-S-P-A-T-H S-P-A-T-H, at capnick.com or just go to capnick.com. K-A-P-N-I-C-K.com. Right on, Michael. Thanks for the good guidance. Thanks for being on. Thanks for being our expert. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Back with more on Startup Nation Radio right after this break. All right. Welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. We've got our expert, Shay Berman, now on with us. He's the founder and president of Digital Resource, a company that helps all small businesses and large businesses find their way to customers in the market, specifically by doing that through various online tactics, whether it be search, whether it be social media, advertising, whatever it may be. Shay's the expert. We've got him. Thanks, Shay, for being on with us today. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be back. Good to have you back. So, Shay, one of the questions we get a lot from our small businesses out there in the Startup Nation community is, you know, I totally buy into the importance of social media marketing, but what platform? There's so many different choices and options, and just when you think you've got them all figured out, something new comes along. Break down kind of the playing field for us just at a high level first, then we'll go platform by platform and try to, you know, figure out which business best could utilize that platform. So from a high level, social media is, is its earned media, right? It's things that we do to put ourselves out there. It's things that we do as a business to show our culture, our team, who we are, the products that we sell, and build trust with the community. So social media, it's a long-term play. We're trying to show all these things over time. So whether people are referred to us or people find us online or through a traditional means and check us out, that that trust is there and there's a better chance they say yes. So while social media is you know, a sales-driven tool, it can grow your business. And there's a lot of businesses that are solely focused on social media. It's one of the biggest drivers. For most businesses out there, social media is going to be a supplementary thing to a lot of your other marketing efforts that's going to help get more people to yes. So these are paid campaigns, right? So there's two different sides. You have the paid side where you're actually doing ads on Facebook and Instagram, or you have the organic side, just those daily postings. Which one do you want to dive into? Well, first, any small business is going to say, can I make it on, you know, the organic side alone, the posting side, as opposed to having to pay? So can you make it on social media on the posting side alone without paying? There's some businesses, like I said, that are built on that. But for the majority of businesses out there, it's going to be a supplementary piece to all the other marketing that you do. Social media, like I said, is going to help get more people to yes. It's going to build your community that word of mouth we're so used to in the traditional world and bring that word of mouth online. Help more people spread your message more quickly. You could definitely grow from it, but I always recommend it as it being a part of the marketing mix. And so when it comes to posting versus paying specifically on social media platforms, in order to really execute well in social media marketing, I've got to look at a blend there as well, right? Oh, yeah. So Facebook only shows about 12% of your pages following your posts. So if you have 100 people following you, about 12 of those on average are going to see one of your Facebook posts. You know, we can't grow. We can't thrive on that. And Facebook did that because they want more people to invest in Facebook and Instagram ads. Right. And that's why people do is to get that larger reach and get in front of more people who might be relevant to them. So if I go to from strictly organic or posting to paid, I'm going to get many more eyeballs seeing my ad versus just a pure posting situation. Yeah, hundreds of thousands, if not ten thousands more, depending on your budget. There it is right there. That's exactly why that's critical. All right. Now, let's talk about specific platforms. I'm a local small business. I'm a restaurant and I've moved into town. I want to make the public aware, my community aware that I'm a new restaurant on Main Street. What do you recommend? Which platforms? Let's talk about platform by platform. 
All right, let's start. You got me excited. All right. Let's start platforms. Facebook and Instagram is a no-brainer from pretty much every business. Almost the entire world is either on Facebook, Instagram, or both, so we can call those no-brainers. Now, no matter what business you are, and obviously we're talking specifically about restaurants here, if you love producing content, it can make sense to get on other platforms. Like if you love making videos, is that something you're passionate about? And you have to be passionate about it. Not just that you want to do it, but you have to be passionate about it. You can get other into other things like TikTok or even doing reels on Instagram. But for the most part, the average restaurant is going to see the most success and the best use of their time with Facebook and Instagram alone. So let's talk about TikTok. I mean, it's on everyone's minds these days. What business then should think about using TikTok? It's very hard for me to suggest at this point in time for a local business to use TikTok. TikTok is a nationwide platform. When people scroll through their reels, their results are not geocentric to the area that they're in. And because of that, they're seeing things from all over the world. And if you're a restaurant and you're in Los Angeles and you're in the, sitting in Detroit, you're not going to necessarily pick up a phone and call up and order something from Los Angeles or fly over there. It makes no sense. And so TikTok is really for businesses that can sell online or can have a national or global audience because that content is going to be shared nationally and globally. And you don't want to put all that time and effort into doing that when a local business can't get the same results from it because they don't have the ability to do that in terms of sales. Okay, so let's say I'm, an, I'm a new online bakery and I'm selling all these really cool new cookies that I have a unique uh, approach to making. Does that fit TikTok? Oh my gosh, yes. That's, That's like a home run. Of TikTok. Right, I, get, yeah. I, I handed you that one. That was a gimme. <laughs> yeah, I served that one yeah. right up. In that case, you know, it's a, a global or national audience. It's food, which does phenomenal. Right, and if right. you've got the personality and you love creating that content, yep. that's going to go, I hate to use the word, but viral. Yeah. Okay. So that's a perfect use of the TikTok platform. Things that are visual food, as you say, does really well on TikTok. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. So that's some way to think about TikTok. What about LinkedIn? What do I do with LinkedIn and who should use it? Another great question. So LinkedIn is a social media platform that's typically business to business. So business to consumer is Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, Snapchat, mostly business to consumer, focusing on the general consumer. LinkedIn is for when a business is trying to sell something to another business or, which is becoming more prevalent today, when a business is trying to create employer engagement and trying to show off the culture of their team and do better at hiring employees because they're trying to look better online. So whether you're trying to sell to a business and you're using LinkedIn to identify those business owners or the people in the business you want to get in contact with and stay in front of them, just as you would a regular consumer on Facebook or Instagram, or if you're trying to look great to potential candidates that you're trying to acquire because the job market is so hard in terms of getting new employees, LinkedIn could be for you. Now, what about platforms that are both, you know, kind of fading in the social media arena versus those that are coming on that you're watching as ones to watch? we got to pay attention to this. Let's start with Pinterest. Where does Pinterest fit in the world these days? Ooh, it depends on who you ask, whether that's going That is very true. Out. That is true. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so but you because... as, a, as a social media marketing expert, you know, aside from whether you're a Pinterest lover or, you know, you use it to express yourself and all these kinds of things, purely from a small business marketing standpoint, and again, it's dependent situational business to business, but in general, how are you feeling about Pinterest these days? So I'll tell you, five, six years ago, I was high on Pinterest. Two, three years ago, I was low on Pinterest. In the last year, I'm back high on Pinterest again for this reason. They have honed in on their advertising platform and really made the results that are typical, were typical national results get more geocentric. Like I said, Snapchat has and TikTok have been unable to do for the most part. Yep. So I am getting higher on Pinterest, especially in the e-commerce world, 
or again, those businesses that can sell nationwide. Um, but if you're going to utilize Pinterest, uh, it's best utilized in conjunction with an app paid, a paid advertising campaign with them. Okay. And now let's talk about social platforms to watch like Clubhouse, for example. That seems to be the one over the last few months that has emerged that, you know, do I need to think about Clubhouse? Do I need to factor that into my campaign? And or is there anybody else I need to be thinking about that you're seeing on the horizon out there? I'm going to go back to it depends on who you are, as we know with everything in marketing. For the most part, the average business owner can ignore Clubhouse. Unless they're extremely passionate about talking, about having off-the-cuff conversations, and they can sell on a national or global level, the average local business you know, can put Clubhouse to the side and say, you know, I'll focus my efforts elsewhere. What about social commerce? Moving from social media marketing to social commerce. What's happening there these days that we need to know about? So social media marketing has always been about, you know, that earned media, that engagement, that growth, the traditional word of mouth and bringing that online and getting your message to be spread exponentially. But when we talk about social commerce, we're trying to now sell online through mm -hmm. social. And again, going to these businesses that can sell online, your bakery example, you know, these people have the ability to sell right within the social media platforms. And the social media platforms are doing this to capture engagement. And by keeping people on the platform, they're more and more sticky. So I think it's important that we recognize what social commerce opportunities are out there and that if you can sell nationally or globally, that you take these platforms up on them because they're going to do a great job. They've always done a great job of keeping attention. If they can keep the attention on your products, you may just sell more. Beautiful. Shay, thank you so much. If people want to reach out to you and have you help us execute these campaigns, help us sort it out, help us figure it out, know which platforms to use and how to use them most optimally, how do they reach you, Shay? Yes, of course. Our website is yourdigitalresource.com. We can also be reached at 561-429-2585. Shay Berman, thank you. Startup Nation expert. That information is invaluable. We appreciate it so much. All right, back with more after this break on Startup Nation Radio. All right, welcome back to Startup Nation. Now uh, shifting our focus to something that's really critical when it comes to startup or small business success is the quality of the people that you have on your team. As Bo Schembechler once said, the team, the team, the team, and it really is all about that. You can have the greatest idea in the world, but if you don't have the team to execute it and make it happen, likely isn't going to happen. We've got Greg Packer, our Startup Nation expert on all things HR. You're Greg, you're president of Access Point, offering these HR services. Welcome, to Startup Nation Radio. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. It's great to be back. Good to have you on again. And and Greg, did I say that right? You got to have a great team if you're going to make a business work. Talent wins. Talent you know, wins. You, you see it more in, in, in sports than anywhere else. But you know, the best coaches usually have the best talent. That's it. Talent wins. That's the right way to say it. So finding the right talent, hiring the right talent, retaining the right talent is is the is the trick. Let's focus on the hiring and the retention, the kinds of things that you can offer to compel someone to come on board, you know, in the way of benefits, for example, and then those benefits also to help retain those employees. In today's world, Jeff, it's really more about the whole employment experience. You're creating the best, you know, a world-class experience for your employees as an employer. And typically, you know, companies of any size can compete on the wage yeah. component of the employment package. But it's benefits, the experience, and, you know, the uniqueness of things. You know, we all hear stories about, you know, the different internet companies, you know, Microsoft and others that provide these fabulous experiences. And those yes. make a difference, especially to this generation. Yeah, especially to this generation. That's a point well said. You know, I, all the reading that I do tells me that some people even trade off some salary in order to get some of the benefits that go along with, uh, you know, a job, whether it be a great company culture, 
a worthy company to work for, some mission of the company that you associate with, or the benefits. And benefits, you know, they come in all shapes and sizes, right? Understanding what benefits to offer, what benefits are attractive to your employee base, and then being able to afford them and, you know, and offer them to your employees, especially if you're a small business. That's the trick. Let's talk about benefits as sure. part of the equation. What are some of the things that you should consider as a, you know, in particular as a relatively small business, but for any business benefits, what are they? Well, you have the basics of, you know, medical insurance, life insurance, and then dental vision, you know, long insurance, disability, those types of things. But you also have, you know, PTO, you know, paid time off policies, maternity leave policies, a pet insurance. I mean, there's a multitude of different things. And I think that, you know, typically smaller startup businesses especially are challenged because a lot of times you have to have at least five employees or X number of employees to even entertain some of those things. Right, right. And it's it's hard to get talent from a larger company that has an established benefits package when you're a startup organization. Hard to compete that way. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So a company like yours, what you guys do as I understand it and, and help us understand this specifically you guys are able to acquire a policy and then offer participation in that policy to your client, small businesses or businesses, so that they get the efficiency, the cost efficiency, you know, and everything else that goes with it, right? Is that the way it works? Yeah, we, we're able to aggregate our clients together to create a large pool, and then we buy benefits as a large employer. So we get primarily a more robust relationship with the carrier. So we're able to draft the policy and manage the risks and things associated with it and, and end up with a more cost-effective and typically a better benefit offering for our clients. So tell us how it works. If I'm a business and I want to take advantage of a program like that, how do I work with a company like yours? How does that work? Am I, am I coming in? Am I looking at an a la carte menu and I'm picking one-off things that might work for me? Or am I coming in and getting a suite of engagement opportunities with your company that'll help my company achieve these objectives? Sort of a combination of both. You know, we have a suite of services and benefit offerings, and we work with our clients to customize what best works for them to meet their needs to create the, the best overall employment experience. A lot of times the employment experience just starts with, you know, the onboarding process. Is, is it simple and easy, or is it half a dozen pieces of paper that they put their name on 15 times? So, you know, we are really focused on making the, the best employment experience from the you know, day one of that employment situation. And so what would you, if we were to break it down from the blocking and tackling the must-haves to kind of prioritizing what you think are some of the other things for people to consider, let's first talk about the must-haves. I'm a business today. I want to attract the best talent and retain the best talent. What really, in your view, must I have in order to do that from a benefit standpoint? You have to have a basic health plan. You know, with Obamacare, people under 26 are sticking around on their parents' plans. But once you're over 26, you know, going into the exchange is a mess. So you have to have a health insurance plan, probably really should have a life insurance plan because if something bad happens, typically the family looks to the employer. Um, and I always recommend disability coverage. And then a, a nice to have is a 401k. People are, are more focused on that. And those are all things that, at least through our channel, are fairly easy to deliver to a smaller startup company. And that really puts you on much more of a level playing field with a larger employer where you're trying to attract talent from. How is the work from home, you know, this post-COVID era, hopefully post-COVID, uh, how, how has that changed your business, you know, and what you do and what you recommend to companies? Well, it's changed our business. I mean, it's changed the whole landscape of the employment experience because people have found ways to be productive and effective working remotely, and they want to continue doing that. They want to at least have that as an option, and employers are uh, have adapted to bringing in talent from all different areas. So you've got people that are now working, you know, one or two days remotely, sometimes five days remotely. 
And so it's caused the requirement of expanding a benefit plan. A lot of benefit plans are very regionally based. So, you know, you might have a plan that's really, really good for Metro Detroit, but now all of a sudden you have a controller that lives in Traverse City. And your HAP medical plan doesn't have any doctors in Traverse City uh, or someone who lives in uh, Chicago or New York, um, and you have a regional health plan. So you have to, to, to adapt and take that into consideration and be able to handle all of the compliance responsibilities remotely. That's helpful. Greg, in particular for small businesses that want to use your services, you guys offer programs you know, specifically tailored to them? Absolutely. We actually just this year, um, first of all, we launched the partnership with WeWork to help reinforce our commitment and focus in the startup community. And uh, as you know, I've been pretty involved in the startup community yep, in Metro Detroit sure. with a lot of folks. And you know, we're committed to that. So we actually have launched a program now with where for startups with as low as one employee, we'll provide a very robust benefits package, our full HRIT platform. All they need is some sort of outside investment that shows that they're committed to growth because we don't want to end up with a bunch of one employee clients. It's not right. very cost effective. Right, right. Okay, great. So that's a great thing. I mean, I think a lot of times small businesses get intimidated to, to, to go to a service like yours because they do think it's tailored only for and specifically for bigger businesses, larger corporations. But in fact, you guys have this unique program for startup businesses, and, uh, and that's good to hear. It's great. Greg, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, for being on. We appreciate it. All right, that wraps it up for this edition of Startup Nation Radio. We'll be back, as always, next week with another great edition of Startup Nation Radio. The preceding program was furnished by Startup Nation Media Group.